0: Well, dear saints, this morning I do have a particular word for you, I believe, is from the Lord. Um, It is something that uh, has been increasingly um, growing uh, in my heart for the saints and the churches in the Lord's recovery. However, this morning I don't want to be here just to repeat a burden. I pray to the Lord, and I hope you will be praying as well, that he will give us a fresh portion of his spirit. Uh, Indeed, the fresh oil, so that we would not just uh, receive some teaching or some um, exhortation, but we would really receive something uh, from him. So... um, I told the brothers already for this burden to be discharged, I may need a little bit more time. So if you don't mind, I will start now and uh, finish my speaking um, close to noon, uh, at which time we will have some announcement and we will have a love feast together. I'd like to speak to you this morning, saints, concerning... The Godly Family. The Godly Family. Of course, uh, just by that title, um, you will see the emphasis uh, is on two things. Uh, number one, godliness. Rather, the adjective godly, which describes a kind of condition. It describes a kind of living. Uh, It describes a person. And likewise, it can describe a family and even a community, which really to us is the church. Then the other word, obviously, is the word family. And this is a great and heavy burden on my heart. And lest you think, this morning we're focusing on family, which in a way we are, but in a proper way. I'd like to start off by telling you that the family, I'm talking about what we call the nuclear family, but more than just the nuclear family of a couple Parents and some children of theirs may be a better word or another word to make uh, plain my f- burden. And in fact, the scripture's concept is the word household or even house in the sense of the folks or the people of a house. So a godly household i like to tell you that this matter of the household is intrinsically and deeply related to the outworking of God's economy. God's intention and God's plan with the people, the man that he created, and much more with the people that he has chosen for himself, In the Old Testament, obviously, that was Israel. And with us in the New Testament, it is the real Israel, the house of faith. And that is all of us Christians in the church. It has to do with God's administrative arrangement. The household, the household is a great, great thing. Not the individual. I said the household is a great thing. So this morning, I have the aim to change your concept in this matter. And if we can grasp this, I believe it will have a huge, huge, perhaps even revolutionary effect on your life, on my life and by extension, on our church life. So this morning, uh, I will just uh, read a few verses, and uh, you can just hear me, or if you have the Bible, you can turn. So I'm going to use a particular family, and that is the family of Noah, to make my point In Hebrews 11, 7, we have this verse. By faith, Noah, having been divinely instructed concerning things not yet seen, and being moved by pious fear, prepared an ark for the salvation of his House through which he condemned the world, and that is listen through this house salvation by means of the ark. Actually, Noah condemned this age or that age that he was living in, as we remember in Genesis, that was an awful age. An age that was couldn't be lower, couldn't be worse. Where you have even have angels cross over to breed with man. To beget giants and nephilims, altogether offending and violating God's Natural law. And that give rise to an age filled with lawlessness and violence and total, total ungodliness. That's the setting. And in some sense, I would say the age we're living in now today absolutely reflects that. If you do any kind of study or if you are like me, an observer of the world situation, of our culture in this country, I think you would agree with me. So as the Lord said in his famous other sermon on the mount, not the first one, but the last one, There in Matthew 24, he prophesied concerning the end times, the day of the Son of Man, the day of his coming back, as a judge this time, not as a redeemer. In his great glory, he described what the situation will be Prior to his return. And. He make mention of Noah. Because. As in the days of Noah. So shall the days of the coming of the son of man be. Where man is given. To eating and drinking. Marriage and being married. He described that age. And he said what? He said, as long as I'm referring to that passage, I better just read that to you in chapter 24 of Matthew. For just as in the the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be for as they were in those days. That means... The days before the Lord, prior to the Lord's coming back to this earth, it would be as those days before the flood, eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day in which Noah entered into the ark. Not just by himself, mind you, but his house, his family, And they did not know, the people of the earth at the time, that judgment was coming until the flood came and took all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There was a tremendous destruction of the fallen human race as never before at that time by a deluge brought about by 40 days and nights of nonstop rain. Brothers, i like to tell you that another day like that day is coming. This time, not with water, but with fire. More severe. In those days, I don't know how many people on the earth. Today we have 7 billion across the earth. What will that scene look like? Of destruction, of judgment. I can hardly imagine. But this word, as it is promised by God, will take place. Now, I'm here to talk about a life, a condition, a situation. Against that backdrop. And that happened to be how we Christians should live. And not only we Christians as individuals, but our families, our households. That's the emphasis here with Noah. All its souls enter into the ark and we're saved and pass on to a new age. Of course, again, Noah's story tells of the termination of one age and the start of another age. And today, we are speeding headlong to that point of transition, of transfer from the present age To another age. That would be the age of the kingdom. And my dear saints, will you have an ark? Will you and your family be in that ark? To survive that judgment. And find yourself in the presence of the son of man. Who is the king of his kingdom in the coming age. Now, so let me finish that verse in Hebrew. Through which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness he became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And again, my dear saints, in the new age, in the coming age, we should be heirs. Join heirs with Christ Amen. to receive a reward. In fact, elsewhere, it is promised a crown of Righteousness to those who love his appearing, as the apostle did. This all, may I say, is to quote the verse, according to faith. This morning, I'd like to impart this faith into you through the word of the faith. That you and I, living in this corrupted and lawless situation, we would really be people of faith. We believe in the unseen. We believe in a future that we can only speak about. We hardly can prove it. But there was Noah, this crazy man. Building this shoebox called an ark. It's not a sailboat. It's not a powerboat. It's a shoebox that floats. And he did it on some mountain. Crazy. He's a nut. And he took hundreds of years to build it. Who knows? But he did it by divine instruction. Sometimes I look around, I say, I am crazy. (laughs) I mean, compared to the world, what am I doing here? You know, this recovery thing, this church life, this Jesus thing, maybe I am crazy. Well, I'd like to tell you, 50 years ago, I came into the Lord's recovery. Exactly 50 years ago, 1969. I'll tell you, I start doing my crazy thing. And that is, I started to build the ark. 50 years later, standing here in front of you, an older man, I'd like to tell you, I'm still building that ark. Not just for myself, but for my family. My children. My son-in-laws. And I'm now still building because I have a few grandkids. I'm building it for them. I want to make sure they will all come into the ark with me. And be saved. I want to make sure that my house is a godly one. So I turn to another verse in 1 Timothy. You all know one of the themes of the three books of First and Second Timothy and Titus is in fact godliness. Godliness. Now, let me talk to you about what godliness is, because we may have different ideas and different understanding. Godliness, which describes a certain godly condition, is not what we traditionally think. And I would not say that thought is entirely incorrect. But surely it is not up to the standard of Scripture's. Godliness is not just a condition of devoutness, of piety, you know that word, or even of a kind of spiritual state of, you know, a mature state of spirituality. It could have some expression in, that, in, the, in these things, but not, that is not central. This morning, I want to tell you what godliness means. What is to be godly? Because this word is based on just this word, God. God. It's all about God. And God's purpose, even in creating men with Adam and Eve is actually that they would be the first godly human beings. Man is made to be godly. God become man, that man may become God. Right there, right there, this deep thought of God's full salvation and God's economy is to make man God. It is to make Man, not just manly, but godly. Amen. Do you see this? Amen. Amen. This is what I say. What we're we talking about here is not focusing on family at that kind of low level, but something that touches the heart of God and the, eternal, and, the, and the ultimate intention of God Amen. that he would gain a group of God-men godly people by his mingling himself with that man. So this morning I would say this is godly. Godly or if a person is godly or something is godly or a family is godly it means, number one, something that is, or a person or persons that are of God. You're of God. You came from God. Your source is God. Aren't you godly? David, aren't you Godly? Don't be so, so humble. Aren't you godly? Aren't you from God? Aren't you regenerated? Didn't you receive the life of God? So you're godly. So don't don't say, I have not attained to godliness. Maybe, but you are godly. Everyone in this room, aren't you godly? Stand with the fact. Number two, that means you are for God. You're not for anything else. Since you're from God, God being your source, and God really imparted himself into you, then you are a man for God. Your future is for God. Your life is for God. Your marriage is for God. Your household is for God. Your career is for God. Your living in L.A. is for God. My living in Irvine is for God. I have children, grandchildren for God. Some of you single ones, you're looking for a mate, spouse, fine, that's human. But i like to caution you, too many are looking for a mate to be married, not for God. But for themselves. So, you become one of those described in the last days, marrying and given to marriage. Human necessities. Legitimate. But my question is, are you doing this like those people are doing it? You know, just want to fill your Instagram page with softly off-focus pictures. Of two hands holding rings, balloons, confettis, champagne. Is that what you want? Is that the marriage you're after? Or can you say, we're here. I'm looking for a wife. I'm looking for a husband. So that we can together live a life for God. And we're going to raise a family for God. Can you say that? If you can, and you mean it, you're godly. You go get a job. Are you after that six-figure pay or seven-figure? How about that? So that you can lay on your sofa in your underwear with your big dog with a latte in your hand. And your air book, living it out, living it. Is that, is that the purpose of your career? It's okay to get a job. It's good to get a high-paying job. I'm not, I'm not against that. But I'm, I'm searching. I'm asking. What is that for? Is that for God? Or just for you? Number three. To be godly means. In God. In God. That means. You're one with God. You're just one with God. You, you just live your life. Whatever you're doing. All the things, the human life that you're leading, you are just in God all the time. From morning to night, you just care to be in God. God is in you, of course, but you need to be found in God. In His Word. In His Spirit. In His life. You just mingle with God. Number four, and this is the final, you may say, issue of the above. You are like God. So ultimately, the word godliness really means God likeness. God likeness. One who expresses God, one who lives God, one who manifests God with His attributes in our human virtues. So, brothers, this is to be godly, and we are made to be such, every one of us in creation. And even the more in the new creation, we're all regenerated to be like this. That is our destiny. That is our, this is our fate. This is God designed destiny for each of His elect. You have to identify with that, brothers and sisters. This is it, this is what God wants. and since this is what god wants we are equipped to be such Amen. don't don't say i cannot make it by faith remember noah by faith Amen. even this morning as i'm speaking in your heart tell the lord Amen. by faith i am godly Amen. by faith i will be godly Amen. now in 1st timothy chapter 3 He says, confessedly, great is the mystery of godliness. Before that, the verse says, you know, Paul talking to Timothy, I write that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Not just, really, not just Timothy. He said, one, how one ought to conduct himself, himself, that means all of us in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. You know, this God that we're talking about is living. Our God is living. The pillar and base of the truth and followingly, he said, and confessedly, great is the mystery of godliness. So, Now, we're talking about God's heart uh, in a more expanded way, and that is God not only wants one godly person, you know, a single, solo, godly man or woman. God is after a community. God is after a corporate godliness. He's after a god corporate godly community and that is the house of God that's the family of God the church of the living God so today what is the mystery of godliness mystery of godliness simply is Christ the first true God man the first real godliness in living color you know lived out, walking, moving, breathing, eating, sleeping, but godliness Amen. all around him. He is just the walking godliness Amen. as a model, as a prototype. But through his death and resurrection, this godliness became a spirit and came into us. Am I right? Amen. To make us an extension of that godliness, an enlargement of that godliness, so that each and every one of his member would be godly members. So the mystery of godliness simply is Christ with the church. Christ with the church is today's godliness. This is where you find godliness and godly living. But of course, we know the church failed. The last two thousand years, godliness was not there. In terms, of, in 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 place of that, it is ungodliness. And it's not only pervading the the world, the so-called secular world. It filled the religious world with ungodliness and unrighteousness. Am I right? And unholiness. This is Christendom. In general. What are we doing my brothers in the Lord's recovery? Why are we the Lord's recovery? Because we don't want that. We want to come back to the beginning. We want to come back to the heart of God. We want to be the church. The real church of the living God. We want to be the godliness on the earth today. That's the commission to the Lord's recovery. We're not here to play a better church. We're not even just to be here to be more spiritual Christians. We, our aim is to fulfill God's original intention when he produced the church. When the Lord died on the cross to create the one new man, we're coming back to that. That's our calling. That's why we're in the church life, in the recovery today. But I want to just point you to the fact this godliness is a mystery. You, you just, it's not, you just, it's mystical. It's not material. You know, you look at here, you know, this green old hall, a bunch of people look that look like this, and We don't have fancy this, fancy that. There's a mystery here. That mystery of godliness is what? Is Christ is here. And the real living church of God is here. That's God, the mystery. Blessed are the eyes that see this mystery. Now. Now. I have to say something about this godly living before I move on to the family, which is my, really my, the thrust of my burden. But I have to lay out the context. I have to uh, build the case, as it were. So today, my brothers and sisters, I hope this is clear, what are we doing here? In the church life, we're here to live a godly life with Christ and as the church. very simple way to know the meaning and purpose of your existence today as believers in the Lord's recovery. Now, then I would like to tell you that today our, with with this in view, our living, our living is of utmost importance. So, how should we live? You know, this famous thing. How should we then live, right? You know, these kind of great philosophical question every age. I'll tell you, I have the answer. I'm not boastful. I'm just telling you I have the answer from scriptures. How then I should live? I should live simply godly. Now, godly is not an an adjective here, it's an adverb, right? I'm here to live godly. Sisters, what are you doing? Cooking, raising up children, taking them to school, going grocery. That's not really what you're here for. You do those things, obviously. You must tell people, I'm here to live godly. Same thing with the husband. Students, you go to school, you go to UCLA, CSUN, whatever, you're getting a degree. But really, you're here primarily to live a life, a godly life, that pleases God, that is well-pleasing to God. So here, Paul talks about in Second Timothy, and indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ, Jesus will be Persecuted. That doesn't sound good. Well, it's simple why they're persecuted. Because the whole world is ungodly. And they hate godliness. So they persecute godly living. But I'm here, I want to draw your attention this morning to this word. And indeed all who desire. Desire. Now if you identify with the purpose of your life, as I have described, then there needs to be an intentionality. There needs to be an intention. You cannot be wishy-washy about this. You cannot be passive about this. If I am made for this, I intend. I intend. So this word desire, in Greek, has the meaning of determined. This is like Decision time. This is not, maybe I'll be godly. I wish I'm godly. No, that's not good enough. Anyone who determined to live godly. I like to challenge every saint in this room to make that decision if you have not done so. Fifty years ago, I made it. I'm still sticking to it. I decided to follow Jesus. I decided to be in the church life. I decided to serve the Lord. I decided to adopt a lifestyle that is anti-age. I made that decision. And you know what? You know, they say, you know, don't make New Year's resolution because the next day you'll you'll fail, right? you you break it. But this morning, I invite you to make a deep resolution. Not just for 2020 or whatever. For the rest of your life. Make it. Don't say, I cannot fulfill it. Someone in you can fulfill it. You have to make it, though. You have to make it, though. Let your life be full of intention, full of purpose by your determination in how you live. That is to live godly in Christ Jesus. I even invite you this afternoon to do this. After this message, after the love feast, you go home, on your way home, When you're back home, take the time to repeat this resolution, to utter this resolution. It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing to make a determination. As as you will see, that determination, I hope, is not even just for yourself, but for your folks, but for your family, even for your children and grandchildren, what have you. Then finally, in scriptures, I will just read the last and important three verses from the book of Titus. Titus 2. You know, by the way, the Timothys and Titus are all spoken or written by Paul against the age of decline, degradation, Backdrop of ungodliness. So he said, for the grace of God. This is chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God. Don't you praise the Lord for the grace of God? Amen. You know, how, okay, okay, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. How did Noah do it, make it? You know, to stay so crazy. You know what I mean. How, how, how did he do it. Was he Superman? Go back to Genesis. And Noah found grace in the sight of God. There's almost a full life study message on this matter. The only way that Noah made it after hundreds of years, you know he lived hundreds of years sticking to the divine instructions to live that way as an anti-testimony was because he found grace in the eyes of God. And today we have a wonderful verse Verse also in Hebrews. Let us all come to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace. Brothers and sisters, don't say, I cannot make it. There's a throne of grace. In the heavens, that is joined to your spirit. Come to that throne, that dis- grace dispensing throne. Receive mercy and find grace for timely help. How do we live godly? By grace. Grace means the trying God being everything to us, supplying us, even doing things that we cannot do in us. Ready made, brothers and sisters. My last message to you in Trey Tech was grace. You remember that? For the grace of God bringing salvation to all men has appeared. That is the Lord coming on the earth the first time. Grace came in this one. In this tabernacle word. The word that became flesh. Grace came. So salvation came to all men. Okay, 12, verse 12, training us. This grace is training us. It includes the sense of discipline. This grace is not just supplying, helping, nourishing. This place is also perfecting and disciplining and training you how to live, if you would pay attention to it. Denying ungodliness. My brothers, today we are a living, we should be a living testimony of denying something. While the whole world is saying, yes, 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 more ungodliness. We're here saying, no, 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 more godliness. We deny ungodliness. And worldly lusts. Something that comes with ungodliness. It is a spontaneous thing. Where there's ungodliness, there will be worldly lusts. All manners of them. You go to first John, you'll find the definition. The world that is the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the what? Huh? And the vainglory of life. These things. And those who are in these things. Do these things. Will not last. But those. Who do the will of God. Am I right? That means those who are denying. Those ungodliness. They will abide forever. The doers. Of God's God's will. Will abide forever. Okay. We should live, Oh no, we, we, now we talk about how to live. We should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. That's, 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 that's how we should live. Soberly because today the whole age is befuddled, drugged. All the craziness of things pervade now, Conveniently through the internet. Pushed to you whether you like it or not. On a 24-7 basis. It's making you unsober. Look at the craziness in Washington D.C. right now. Unsober. These smart people, well educated, highly accomplished people... Is in an unsober mess. And righteously, justly, that means not unrighteously. The present ungodly age is characterized by unrighteousness. You know, you, you look everywhere. I don't care if it's political realm, commerce realm, medical realm, even philanthropic realm. How about that one? Full of unrighteousness. And godly. Brothers and sisters, we should live godly in the present age. And I described that already. The present age. Next age is another matter. I'm talking about this age. That's how we should live. Thirteen. Awaiting the blessed hope. At the Lord's table this morning we say, right, we do have a song at the Lord's table, hope to fill our daily living. Each, every first day of the week we come here to partake of this table with the bread and the wine. We're here eating and drinking till he comes. I'll drink this cup with you in my Father's kingdom. Aren't you looking forward to that day? I tell you, today, many Christians, forget about the unbelievers, are not living with that hope in view. They're just living for the day. We become just like the people of this age. We forgot a flood is coming. We forgot the Lord is returning in his parousia. We forgot that this is not the kingdom. We're not in the right kingdom. We're aliens here. We are passers-by. We're sojourners. We're looking towards a better city in a better country, aren't we? We're not here to send roots and make home In this present age. But sorry Christians abundant are doing exactly that. And maybe even we may be doing that. Awaiting the blessed hope. Even the appearing of the glory of our great God. And Savior. There's a lot of theological stuff here. But anyway. The great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers, I want, as I'm speaking about living godly, I want to ask you every day what is your hope? What are you looking forward to? The job tomorrow, Monday? What is your hope? That will determine how we live today. I'm afraid even in the recovery we have lost that hope. Or we neglected that hope. Our hope is single. It's the hope of glory. The hope of the Lord's coming back. The saints of old, Sister Emmy Barber wrote hymns. Since Bethany, you have departed. Those are godly people who on New Year's Eve say perhaps watchmen, walking with watchmen as we turn this corner the Lord will be there waiting. That's how they live. No, what are we living? Just like other people. We, the hopeful, live like the hopeless. At least we style ourselves in our living as if people with no hope. The no hope people are in Ephesians 2. They are without Christ, no hope in the world. Describing the children of disobedience. Now, I must come to my burden with the remaining 30 minutes. I hope the brothers will give me the grace. Give me the 30 minutes. Now, the point is, brothers, not only a godly life lived by you individually. That's important. That's basic. But in the story of Noah, in the type picture of Noah, we see not only a man through his godly profession and godly life made it to the next age successfully, avoided the judgment. He was surely a victorious one and a true overcomer. But seven souls followed him. A family were saved, was saved. This morning I want to put in you a new concept that is not enough just for you to be saved. Your family must be saved. Your household must be saved. Your children must be saved. I don't need to tell you, because you have read this already in the ministry, that consistently in the Old and the New Testament, God's arrangement, God's way of doing things, is household. Whereas eternal life, is received by the individual. Salvation is experienced by a house. And I'm not just talking about initial salvation merely. Of course that, you know, initial salvation. I'm even talking about the salvation that Paul referred to in Philippians when he said, work out your salvation. The daily salvation, the constant, the, 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 the instant salvation, the practical salvation, the salvation even of our soul. I somewhat is, am taking the liberty to extrapolate a little here. That if you're so burdened that even that salvation, would be shared by the folks in your family. By your whole house. Now here, I don't have the time. I need actually a whole conference to instruct all of us concerning the whole Old Testament. I will give you charge after charge charge by Jehovah. Case after case in history. Of Familial salvation. It's almost God's way of dealing with man. It's by household. Recall, he said, those who love Jehovah, that household will be blessed to a thousand generations. It's by household. The other side, he also cursed households, including David's. Due to David's great failure, Ahab, others, Abimelech. God's judgment also is by household. So, Jehovah with Israel, charge, and we're going to be in Deuteronomy this coming training. That is a re speaking by old Moses charging don't let your children forget tell them what happened how jehovah brought them out of egypt how they brought them through the red sea how they give them manna how they give them the living water how they jehovah protect them how so that when they enter into the good land they will not forget he said put the law on their hands put it on your doorposts put it on where you go in and out, you're sleeping or you're awake, you tell your children about these, lest they forget. Because God intend not just Moses' generation, nor even Joshua and Caleb's generation, He wants generations of Israelites for Himself. He wants them all to be saved. And, of course, we know the sad story that didn't happen. Israel was a peculiar treasure to Jehovah. Israel's, the Jews, they are special to God in terms of his earthly people. But my brothers and sisters, we are the true Israel. We are a peculiar treasure to God and you have to identify with that. What am I saying? I'm saying you and I are special. We're not common people. We've been marked out by God. We've been called by God. We've been separated in our mother's womb by God for himself. We have a different outlook. We have a different Goal in life. We're different. The Jews tell their children, you're different. And stay different. And be proud that you're different. I say the same thing, brothers. We're different. Don't, 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 don't try to conform. You know, Paul says, do not be conformed to this age. That means you don't want to be different. That's when you conform. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you can prove what God's will is. God's, to be well-pleasing to God. To be perfect. Brothers don't try to be alike. The world just wants to conform you. To be a, another look alike. I'm not saying be weird. But I'm saying a sanctified person is Uncommon. As God is uncommon. And we sanctify him by being so. By virtue of who is living in us. And the life and nature that we partake. Now. Our. The Christian church has a great failure. In the last 2,000 years. And that is the loss of the succeeding generations. The loss of children. You may say the Catholic Church did better than the Protestants. In some sense. You know, you don't find Catholic Church going around preaching the gospel much. They just make sure their children stay Catholic. That's how they grow. Protestantism, missionaries, campaigns, preaching the gospel, we're losing. We're hemorrhaging. Let's just take the case of the Lord's recovery in the USA. We have statistics now to prove the point. That over the years, we lost one out of two of our own so-called church kids. One's born in Zion. Over the 10-year period from 7th grade through senior in college. 10 years, right? 10 years. The school age, generally speaking. Children, not likely. Because they're under their parents. They just have to stick with the parents. They couldn't make a living, right? They they need food, so they stay with their parents. But starting with that age, 10 years, roughly in the first six, we lost one out of every four. By the end of the fourth year, we lost one of every two. Dear brothers and sisters, our retention rate is 50% in the Lord's recovery. When we first, brotherly first, came in the 60s to the L.A., we hardly have that many children. It was the first gen. There's some, but, you know, little kids and so on. But 70s, 80s, the years rolled on. We started to have second gen. We started to have, you know, our young people's work really didn't really, really start until the 80s. You know, summer school of truth and, you know, all that. And now my heart is weighed down, weighed down, because I'm looking at a big generation among us that is populating the church life called the Millennials. Some of us, like me, we're a little older. We pass a certain stage. But I'm looking at the Millennials, How about you? Are you going to repeat those statistics? Are we going to keep on losing one out of every two in 10 years? Will some of them be your offspring? So my message is urgent. My burden is heavy. I'm not focusing on family like some ministry, just to, you have nice kids, you have, you know what I mean, just, you can go to Barnes and Noble, okay? You don't need me to talk to you about. There's a whole section of books, how to raise children, how to, strategies and, and methods and, you know, I asked my helper to get me some of these books. He got me one, it's called, the Collapse of Parenting. I love that title. It's absolutely the truth. The Collapse of Parenting. So you can read that book so that you won't collapse, you know. <laughs> in other books. And, and, and they're helpful. I'm, I'm not even down on them. But this morning I am in another realm. Brothers and sisters, you have, especially those of us who are, who are parents, you have to be like Noah. You have been instructed by the Lord. You've been to FTTA. You have been in the ministry. You know the truth. You've been instructed. But every day I like to ask you in your home life, family life, what you should really be doing? Not just, you know, send them to violin dash, cello dash, ballet dash, soccer dash, swim dash, so that they can go to Stanford. Stanford, Ivy League. Is that wrong? No. I'm hardly saying that that is. I am not in the realm of right and wrong. I'm in the realm of godly or ungodly. Different realm. While you are doing this, by the time they end up in Harvard and get out of Harvard, they recanted their faith. And we have seen our children doing that. their faith, even the Christian faith. Look, today, even a seven-year-old in second grade is being pumped and force-fed the most secularist philosophies of this age, which is intense. Someone sent me a picture of what they teach, a teaching tool in a public school. I won't mention which city, which school district. Southern California. That, at that age, okay, seven-year-old, what is a seven-year-old? I'm trying to think, At what did I do in seven-year-old? I don't even remember. I was probably just some goofy, naughty kid, you know? You don't know what's up and what's down. They have this picture. Of a gingerbread man. A gingerbread man with four things, four things on the right side. Cut to the chase, it's all to educate them how they should explore and find their true gender. With words that only you, with vocabularies, words that a seventh grade would not know really what it means. They have not even arrived at puberty, okay? And they are told that they must make. They, they're not born with it. You, you, you have to deliberately choose. Now, seven-year-old, what do they know about what's right and wrong? This is a state of California. You know what I call this? You know what I call this? I call it psychological molestation. Not physical. You can molest someone mentally. This kind of stuff for a little kid. It will do something in their mind for life. And so they grow up. Grow up. Junior high, high school. By the time they junior high school, they are like... (laughs) Successfully brainwashed. That's the age that I'm talking about. Millennials, your children, many are getting at that age. That's what they're facing. You know. What are you going to do? Brothers, I will tell you, this matter of a godly family is a spiritual battle. It's a battle. You better get ready for this battle. As long as you say passive, you will be fulfilling that word in 1 John. The whole world lies in the evil one. That word lies implies passivity. You just lie on the lap of the evil one. Part of the world, the whole world lies there. You you just join these inliers. I like to see myself as an outlier as far as the world goes. Passive. You do the same thing with the kids. People do this. You do this. Nice. Isn't this world progressive? Huh? I mean, I mean, we're not, we're not in the Middle Ages, aren't we? We're not in this kind of old, fifteen hundred years old documents. What? What is this? This is old stuff. This is not modern. This is you're bringing us back to that. I'm afraid even the parents are brainwashed slowly, especially a lot of immigrant parents. You don't know the United States. You know what? You don't know what is going on. All this is post World War II. The seed was sown earlier, in things like. I'll tell you, saints. Secular, secularism by definition is anti-religion. That's what. It, What does secular means? But I want to take it a step further. Secularism, in my book, is not just anti-religion. It is actually anti-God. At the root of it. And this secularism began with actually the rejection of God called atheism. And then when God is rejected, man became his own boss. And that's called humanism. Man, today will solve the problem. We're going to save the planet. We're going to change the climate. We're going to improve the society by this ism and by that political ism. You know, today, in this total discussion and discourse, there's a big thing missing, and that is God. There's no thought. That this world is going to be rolled up like an old garment and cast away? I'm not saying that we should not do good. I'm not saying we should not be humanitarian. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying your perspective, your view. Are we just like everyone thinking to do some good and, 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 and be good people? Brothers, there is a scene behind the scene. My point is, what are you doing about that? Noah did something. Noah did something. Crazy man. But he saved his family and, in the process, allowed God's line of human life to extend, to continue, for the fulfillment of God's purpose. Now, either you think that is An old fable that is, you know, these are just, you know, old Jewish fables. Or even this old Bible is just fairy tale. You can believe that. A lot of people believe that. Or just a great piece of Elizabethan literature, especially if it's in King James English. Or do you really believe this, brothers? Do you really believe this is the word of God? I challenge you. Every jot, every tittle. And what is said there about the future will be fulfilled. Now. What are we to do? Well, I have a lot to say, which I have no time. This morning, I'm just giving you an opening kind of a view to this matter. For the Lord's recovery, we come back to the Lord's recovery, the church life to go on. Even if we don't gain anyone from the campuses, even if we don't gain anyone from the community, if we just gain our own children, who are the first and topmost Gospel candidate. They're all in that room over there. Okay? Outside. That room. Those rooms. Those are the VIPs over there. You go save people and you lose them over there. That is a what? That is a business that I won't do. It's not even break even. single ones, I start with you. You're not married yet. You're looking to be married. I speak a word to the brothers. You know in Proverbs what it says? Grace is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears Jehovah, she will be praised. What's my point? In your looking for a wife, possibly, you're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for beauty. You're looking for smarts. You're looking for cuteness, whatever that means. <laughs> you're looking for a soulmate. You're looking for the Instagram day, okay? Okay? Are you looking for godliness? Are you looking for a godly woman? Are you looking to raise up a godly family? Or are you really looking for something to gratify yourself? A trophy wife. I wonder sometimes, this is why some brothers don't get married. They're still looking. Even if you find that gem, I caution you. How about your family? How about the children? How about your children's children? Your job is not just to get a great wife. Your job is to raise up another godly family on this earth to fulfill God's purpose. Generations after you have passed. When you're in your deathbed, are you going to think about how much money you you made? What legacy you have left behind? Give you two stories. I'm sorry, brothers, the time. One story George Cutting. You, remember, you know George Cutting? The man who wrote that famous track, um, Safety, Certainty, and Enjoyment. Brother Nee, in his first visit to London, to England, made uh, uh, a point to visit Brother Cutting. He was bedridden even his mind was not that clear with he said he remember his white hair and beard and it was he george cutting who told brother watchman nee probably in a faint whisper i cannot live without christ and christ cannot live without me now talk about depth of fellowship. That's George Cutting. But that's not my point. My point is while he was there, he met his house. There were almost 100 family members all the way to grand, great-grands. All with the Lord. Because George Cutting make a, make a point that he will have a godly household. Do we think that way? I think we're, we're more like, Lord, it's your mercy. Whether they make it or not, it's up to you. Now, I want to make a point. I want to get rid of some wrong concepts. Yes, there's the element of the Lord's mercy, the Lord's sovereignty. No matter what you do, how your children will turn out is up to him. There's that side. But please, please do not take that as an excuse. That is only true. That kicks in only when you do your part first. And that part is you have to be your present day Noah. To make sure all your children are saved for the Lord. And even going on with the Lord. John Newton of amazing grace, renown. He was a prodigal. He became a bad man serving on a slave ship that plows the coast of Africa. But his mother, who died at 27, 27 women died young. Was a godly woman. And put what he could when she was alive into John Newton. And even when John Newton was in his vices and in his corrupted, living a corrupted way, when God said, It's enough, it's time to come home, all that was put into him by his godly mother came back. Some of our children may take a detour. This happens. But what will they remember? What have you given to them? Just a rooftop, just the food on the table? Just some extracurricular classes? Just an entry into some caliber school that you did not corruptly pay for to get them into it? Just that, just that. Or did you put the best and the top and the most important into them? And that is God. That is godly. What, what? What's your priority? I'm speaking mainly to the millennials. Another story. Do you all know John Little? Brother John Little? You know, he was in L.A. in the beginning. His brother is Bob Little, John is in Charlotte now. His daughter, who was unmarried, died, I think, last year. This year last year? This year, this year. Sister Julia. And some brothers, this time I was in Charlotte, they had the memorial meeting there. And in that memorial meeting, in the whole section, like like this or whatever a section, like that, was all the Little's household. And fourteen of the grandchildren level spoke to testify for their aunt, who died, the diseased. That just that alone is a convicting and persuasive picture of household godliness. It used to be a tradition in certain Christian circles, including our own, the Lord's recovery. But I feel this matter has somehow faded and become not important. Perhaps maybe USA good old rugged individualism, you know, as long as I get saved. No, you're getting saved. is not good, and, good enough for you, but not good enough for God. God wants your house. He gave you a wife, a husband. He gave you children so that they can be saved and they can be his. And it's your job and my job to build that ark so that they may be saved. Now, mind you, not all of Noah's kids turned out good. Yeah, there was one bad boy, at least one. He had three sons. So let's leave that for there for now. But all eight, including himself, were saved. Isn't this used to be some tradition in the Far East? Household, household, and and Hudson Taylor can never forget how his father prayed for him in his library pleading with tears with God. One Hudson Taylor, a whole China heathen land is affected. You can say today those millions and millions of believers in that land owes Hudson Taylor. And perhaps owes owes Hudson Taylor's father for his prayers. Parents, come together. Firstly, separately, you have to go to the Lord with this word. Then you may want to come together as parents and say, dear, this is a new view. This is a new view. For you, for God, for the church life, for the church and for our children, we need to live differently. I gave, a mess, I gave a series of meetings to the Spanish-speaking 15 years ago on the household. I have four S's to describe what is that household, a godly household. Number one, four S's. Number one, a saved house. Number two, a sanctified house. Number three, a spiritual house. Number four, a serving house. That combined is a godly household. With that, my burden is the parents would pray. Dear, we must pray. Nothing means anything if we lose our children. We must pray. Let me tell you, the Lord will honor that prayer because it's according to his promise and desire. Each of you or both of you You need to make a determination. We will deny ungodly living and household. You pray for that. And for some of us who have children wandering, not doing that well, not doing in the church, I have a word for you. Don't give up. Never give up. Be hopeful and continue to pray for them perseveringly. The Lord will also honor that intercession. Now, there are a lot more things that I can talk about. Oh, by the way, finish the story. A number of brothers testify who were in that funeral, not funeral, uh, memorial meeting. That, that's, that's the family I like to have. That's it. That's it. I better stop here. I hope, brothers and sister, dear sisters, you have received something, not just from me, but from the Lord. And that you will take these things with all solemnity and seriousness. Don't, don't talk about other families. So forget about. I'm talking about to you about your family. Grandparents equally. Your job is not done. You have grandkids. Don't stop. And they are soon going to have their kids. Don't stop. Let your whole generation enjoy a heritage of God. And become a godly clan, a godly household, a godly family. To replenish the earth and subdue it. I tell you, even if we gain nobody from the outside, if we retain our home as godly, we will grow marvelously. And when you have families like this, your household, if it's an open home, godly, it will attract the students, attract the new ones. Because today, at the bottom, everyone is looking for this. I end with this. We did a survey, the brothers in Austin, Texas, a year ago, just asking the freshmen they're newly contacting. Write down all the ills, all the problems, all the challenges of your generation. Please write it down in order. All the usuals are there. Depression, anxiety, loneliness, um, Addiction, addiction of all manner, all kinds. But none of them is the first list, number one. These are Generation Z now, okay? Guess what is number one? Broken homes. This is USA. Over 50% of every marriage today ends in divorce. And in the church life, we are now not immune to that trend. I don't mean 50%, but compared to where we were before, marital situations, abuse in families, don't think in the recovery we don't have it. But I consider that shameful. Not that I'm better than anyone, I speak for the Lord with a heart for his recovery. Brothers, let this morning's meeting be a turn. Amen? Amen? Amen. It's not about me, my burden. It's about you and your family. It's about God, his purpose on this earth. Let us have some prayer with each other, with this word. And do remember to take this this week, to pray and consider okay amen let's pray